Hey everybody, welcome to episode 47 of Linux Reality. My name is Chess Griffin. Hope everyone is doing well this week. I've been uh, slowly recovering from a from a little bit of an illness, but I think I'm think I'm uh, back to almost 100%, so uh, which is always a good thing. It's never fun being being under the weather, but uh, let's see. This week, in this episode, we're going to talk about OpenPGP. Uh, it was something I actually touched on uh, just recently, and uh, it was something I'd been planning to get to at one point, and I thought this might be a good time to get to it. So that's what we're going to talk about, how to sign and encrypt your emails and other stuff like documents and all that cool stuff like that. So uh, one little bit of housekeeping or sort of uh, a little announcement, I guess, not really much of an announcement. As I've mentioned, I'm coming up on the one-year anniversary and uh, the way it looks like the calendar is going to fall is that the week of, uh, let's see, it was February 16th last year when I did my first episode. So uh, this year, that falls on a Friday. Uh, what I'll probably do is um, I'm going to put out regular episode 49 that week, and I might do a special episode 50, you know, sort of a one-year anniversary special that Friday or that Saturday sometime. So I uh, just want to let you know that, you know, there may be two episodes that week. We'll see. Obviously, that's subject to change based on schedule and work and family commitments and all that good stuff, but at least that's the plan right now. So I think uh, with that, I don't really have a whole lot of introductory stuff. Let's get right to it. Let's talk about OpenPGP. Okay, OpenPGP is really cool. Um, it deals with the concept of public key cryptography. Now, I'm not a cryptographic expert or anything or cryptography expert. I don't even know what the right word is, but uh, um, what you ought to do actually is go back and listen to some older episodes of Security Now. It's one of the Twit podcasts. It's Leo Laporte and Steve Gibson. And I don't I don't know what episodes. I don't remember, but I mean, it was a while ago, maybe even almost a year ago. They did a series on cryptography and they talked about public key cryptography in at least one episode. And I feel like it spanned a few episodes and it was really great. I mean, I've been listening to Security Now since it really since it first started. And it's just a great podcast, but there's some really good stuff in there. But anyway, I'll give you the real short, uh, condensed version as far as I understand it. Um, the idea or the concept of public key cryptography, it was originally devised by two guys, uh, Diffie Hellman, uh, in 1976, I think it was. And it was later used in the early 1990s by something called PGP, which stood for Pretty Good Privacy. Um, it's not a free piece of software. It was, I think, Windows-based software created by a gentleman named uh, Phil Zimmerman. And Open Open uh, PGP is an open standard of of PGP or public key cryptography. And then the folks over at the GNU project created GNU PG, and that is a free implementation of the Open uh, PGP standard. I guess, actually, I think I saw somewhere that OpenPGP is it's technically a proposed standard, although I think it's widely used in a lot of different, uh, different areas. But the whole idea of public key cryptography is, is as follows. Let me sort of see if I can explain it in an easy example. Um, each person or the sender of something creates two keys, a public key and a private key. And the recipient of whatever is going to be sent also creates a public key and a private key. Now each person only each person keeps their private key private at all times. That's never shared. The private key is never shared. The public key is shared. And it's one of these deals where it's like both keys can be used to lock up something and then um and then the public key of one person and the private key of the other can be used to unlock it. Let me give you an example. Let's say I wanted to send a um 
a uh, in, you know encrypted document to my friend Bill. So I've got a public key and a private key, and my friend Bill has a public key and a private key. So I use my private key and Bill's public key to encrypt this document, let's say. Uh, so the, with my private and with Bill's public, it's encrypted. No one can break it. When Bill receives it, he uses his private key and my public key to unlock it. The two keys kind of work together, but you can't figure out the private if you have the public. So that's really that's a really basic example. So it's a, it's an easy way to encrypt uh, a document or an email or a file or anything like that and send it to somebody who also has a pair of keys and is completely secure. And, and as far as I understand it, I don't think this this stuff has ever been cracked. It's it's there's a lot of very complex mathematics behind it, but it's uh, especially if you use a strong key and a strong password, it's uh, virtually unbreakable. I mean, it would take you know. Um, thousands of years or something on based on today's computer computing power to break it. Uh, so uh, the GNU PG uh, package is the um, is the software that comes with most Linux distributions. If not, just you can just look for that and, and install that. Uh, once it's installed, the basic command, the command line command, is GPG, and then there's a lot of options. So once you've got uh, the GNU PG package installed. The first thing that one will want to do is create their public key pair. Excuse me, their public and private key pair. And you can do this in a terminal. And there's some some uh, graphical tools that will do this for you that I'll mention later on. But as, as is usual, I really like to try to talk about it from the command line first and then bring in graphical tools where they are uh, because the, the command line stuff applies across all distributions. Not everybody has the same graphical tools. So anyway, in the command line, as your normal user that wants to create the keys, you would type gpg space and then two hyphens and then gen dash key or generate key. I guess that's what that stands for. And then you'll then you'll uh, be presented with a little menu, a little text menu of some options, some different encryption algorithms. There's DSA and RSA and whatever. I usually select the default, which I think is DSA and Elgamal, I think is what it's called. Um, but anyway, you want to select one of those and, and pay attention to what the menu says because I think some of them are only used for um, signing and not for encryption. I'm not sure. But I think if you go with the default, you're usually okay. And then the next question is the key size. And this is how many bits the key is going to be, 1024 or 2048. I've gone with 1024. I think some people go with 2048. I don't even remember what the default is now. But um, stick with the default, or if you really want to be super strong, you can go with the 2048 um, uh, key size. The, uh, the next question will be, uh, it will ask you how long you want to keep this key pair valid for. In other words, they can be set to automatically expire. And if you don't want any um, automatic expiration, just put zero, which is you know forever. Um, that's what I usually have done. And then the next question will be to type in a passphrase that's needed to, you know, to use the private key. So this is going to be a passphrase that only you will have, and it should be very strong, you know, an un, not a dictionary word. It shouldn't be just a just a regular word. It should be a combination of, you know, letters and numbers and characters and uppercase and lowercase. I mean, it should just be a good strong password that only you know. And then uh, once you type in that password, I think it asks you for it twice, and it's not going to save it anywhere. So if you lose it, you're out of luck. Um, then it will create the key pair, and you'll see some text, and it will. It will tell you what the it will show you the key number or the key, and it's usually sort of an eight or nine digit uh, character. 
Oh, it's got letters and numbers like, you know, 0CFC6697D or something. I don't know. It'll, it'll be like a, it'll be a, that's, that's your actual key number. Uh, and then it will save in dot GNU PG. That's the hidden directory in your home directory where the keys are, are saved. You'll see a public key and a private key in that directory. Now, the next thing you'll want to do after creating your key pair is you want to create a revocation certificate because, uh, you, the, you know, if, if the key is ever compromised and if you've made the key public, you want to be able to revoke it and then create a new key. So the first thing you'll want to do is create this revocation certificate. And you'll want to um, type in GPG space, then two dashes, two hyphens, output space, revoke dot ASC space, and then two hyphens again, and then gen dash revoke, and then your key ID, that sort of eight or nine digit character. And that will create a certificate called revoke.asc. And you'll want to save that in a, in a you know, secure place because that's what you'll need to, to use to revoke the key if you ever need to, if you ever need to revoke it. Uh, now, each of these, now this key is tied to an email address. You know, and it'll ask you for an email address and you can put that in and you can add more email addresses to your key. So you don't need to have separate keys for separate emails. You can have one key for multiple emails. And that's very easy. You just run gpg space and then two hyphens, edit-key, and then again, your key ID. And uh, and then uh, you can use, I think it's the add UID command. I forget. Uh, it's been a while since I've done this. But it will walk you through the name and email of the second ID or the second email that you're going to be using. Okay, so you've created your public and private keys. Now, what you'll, what you'll want to do is actually create the public key that you can then share. Um, and you'll want to do this in a certain way. So this is, it's, it's very, um, it's not confusing, but it, basically what you're doing is you're creating a text file that's got your public key in it. Because I think these keys are just binary files. And uh, you want to be able to have it so you can copy and paste and attach to emails and upload and all this kind of stuff. So the first thing you want to do is type in the command line, gpg space, and then two hyphens, armor, A-R-M-O-R, space, and then two hyphens, output, and then a space, and then a file name dot, e, dot ASC. So, for example, I could, pi, I could type, you know, my public key dot ASC, for example. Uh, and then you would type in space, and then two hyphens, export, and then the name of your email, and then the email that you have that's tied to that key. And that will create a file called mypublickey.asc. That is actually the public key that you're going to share. That's the file that you will use to attach to emails or to upload to key servers or whatever. Uh, and that will, um, and then you can copy and paste the text from that file into, into a, an email or something. So now that you've created your public and private keys, uh, I think the next thing you'll want to do is you'll want to upload this to a key server. Key servers are servers on the internet that maintain every, you know, people's public keys. And there's key servers all over the world. And I think the idea is that they're supposed to, once you upload to one, they're supposed to almost like do an R-sync, you know, and synchronize all their data. So eventually your public key will be at every key server. I've uploaded mine to a few different key servers and noticed that they haven't, that it hasn't been synchronized. And in other words, my public key is not at every key server. So maybe they're not all linked or anything, but that's at least the idea. 
So the way you'd want to do it, there's one, there's two ways. One is you can you can do it on the command line. You can do gpg space and then two hyphens send dash keys and then a space and then two hyphens key server and then the key servers you know um, not IP address but their URL and then your key ID you know the same public key ID the sort of eight or nine digit or character uh, ID that you got. Or an easier way, I think, is just go to pgp.mit.edu. Uh, that's a key server operated by MIT University. And there's a text box you can just copy and paste your public key. Very easy. And uh, that's, the, that's what I've done, and it works just fine. Now, um, to import somebody's public key, let's say you want to establish a line of communication with somebody, like my friend Bill in my example. There's two ways. Of course... Uh, my friend Bill could just send me his, his public key by email or something, and then I can, once I have it, it's very easy to import. I would just type gpg space two hyphens import, and then the public key file that my friend Bill sent me, and that will import his public key into my key ring, as they say. Or you can fetch a, a key from, from one of these servers. You can do uh, gpg space two hyphens key server, and then the key server's URL, and then the space, and then two hyphens key server dash options, and you'll want to put honor dash HTTP dash proxy, and then the space, and then two hyphens search dash keys, and then your friend's email address, like my friend Bill's email address. I would just type it in, and it will search for his key and import it that way. So uh, once you've uh, created your keys, you've created your revocation certificate, uploaded your public key to a key server, and then imported any you know friends' public keys into your key ring, now you're ready to go and you're ready to use uh, GPG or you know uh, PGP, and, uh, and you can use it in your email clients if you want, and you can also use it to sign documents and encrypt documents. Now, there's a, as far as graphical tools on how to actually do this with email clients, uh, let me talk about a couple email clients in particular. Uh, one is, of course, Thunderbird. A lot of people use Thunderbird. I use Thunderbird and um, uh, for some email. I kind of switch back and forth between multiple email clients. Uh, but Thunderbird does not support, unfortunately, uh, GPG out of the box. What you've got to do is you've got to get a, a plug-in or an add-on or extension or whatever they call it, and it's called it's called Enigmail, E N I G M I M A I L. And if you search for that, you'll find it. And you just install it as an extension for Thunderbird, and then it will add um, then it will add an, an open PGP I think option in the tools menu. I think is where it is. And then you can go in there and you can set your default key for your you know for your home user for your main user. You can point to your keys and, and all of that, and it will it knows where to look. It knows to look under .gnu pg for your key ring and, and all of that. So Thunderbird and Enigmail work great. I've used them for years, and they work just fine. Uh, Kmail supports it, everything out of the box, very easy to use, and is very uh, self-explanatory. It's There's an option in Kmail to set up your uh, encryption or your uh, uh, GPG stuff. Same with Evolution and same with Silphy. Those all work out of the box. It's very easy to set up. 
Now, there's a couple graphical tools to help you manage your keys, and sort of they're sort of standalone graphical applications all by themselves to let you, you know, look at your keys, look at the keys you've imported. You can change the trust level, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but one is if you're using uh, a GTK-based desktop environment, or if you just like GTK applications, you know, if you're using GNOME or XFCE. Uh, Seahorse is an excellent application. I've used it for a while, and that's a great GTK application for managing keys. And in KDE, there's KGPG, uh, which is also an excellent graphical tool. And again, those are standalone applications to let you manage your keys. And they're very helpful, and they work really well. And they both, I think there's places in there you can set you know, your key servers so you can upload your keys and download other people's keys and all this kind of cool stuff. It's great. Now, um, the, the trust level, uh, the, part of the idea of, of all of this is, of course, you're sort of trusting, you know, I, I trust my friend Bill who sends me his key that is, that is coming from him to begin with and that his key is actually his. You know, it could be somebody pretending to be Bill the very first time I get it. And from there on out, if I just assume it's his, you know, in theory, someone could, um, could be impersonating him. So, People have keep signing parties where they actually meet in person and uh, identify themselves and, and, and then sign each other's keys, uh, which is a way to sort of increase the trust level. You can assign a trust level to each key that you've received based on whether or not you know the person. I think there's four different levels. I, I don't remember exactly, but, um, you know, from zero to three or one to four or something. And uh, you can assign the level of trust to a particular key. And most of the time, you know, when you get an email from someone that's got that's been signed, it will say untrusted signature or something like that. That's because you haven't assigned or haven't increased the level of trust for that user in your key ring. And uh, that's fine to leave it that way. It's just sort of warning you. And if you ever get to know that person, you can always modify and change that trust level. Um, and, you know, the idea is that you only sign a key as being authentic when you're absolutely sure that it's authentic. I mean, that's sort of the idea. If you, if you, like if someone hands you their key, like at one of these key signing parties, or if you, you know, if you've checked it somehow, then you can sign that person's key and it sort of increases that level of trust. So, um, I've never actually been to a key signing party. My lug here, um, does have them from time to time and I keep meaning to go to one and I just haven't gotten around to it. So, uh, I think that'd be kind of cool to, to have that done, but, Anyway, so that's, I mean, it's really pretty basic. There's several excellent documents on the web about this, and I will link to them. I've got four or five of them that walk you through it. It's really very easy. And the best thing about it is once it's set up, it's transparent. Oh, and let me say this, I guess. I should say this as well. Once you've got all this signed up, you really have two options as far as email goes. You know, you can have, well, three options. One is, of course, you cannot do anything with it. With it. If you're sending an email, you don't need to you don't need to do anything. You just leave it blank. In other words, just send a regular plain email. Your second option is, of course, you can just sign the email, which if someone has your key, they can then verify that you signed it, but it's not encrypted. And then the third option is you can both sign and encrypt. Uh, so I usually just sign mine. I mean, there's some people I send encrypted emails to, but I usually don't have a need to, although I think it's an excellent idea. Um, and I think, you know, if more people got into it, I would definitely use it more because not that, I mean, my emails are boring emails. I got nothing to hide, but it's just, you know, in this day and age of identity theft and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I don't know, it just seems, you know, it just seems like a good idea to at least sign emails. So, uh, when people have your keys, they know that it actually came from you. I think that's a good idea. 
Uh, and then encrypting emails is, is another, you know, is another step, which is something that, you know, people should do if necessary. You can also sign and encrypt documents. And there's, I won't go into that detail, but that's in, in the links that I'll put in the show notes, tell you how to do that. So if you have a text document or if you have a file or something, you can either sign it or encrypt it or whatever. And, uh, that's pretty cool too. So, um, Anyway, I definitely encourage people to check out um, uh, Open uh, PGP and GNU uh, PG and all of that and just read all about it and learn about it and use it. Set it up. Once you get it set up, it's easy. Then it's totally transparent. You can set your emails to automatically sign if you want. That's what I've done. And then you can choose to encrypt on an email-by-email basis if you want. And it's really very easy. And most of the ways, most of the days, um, I mean, most of the days, most of the time nowadays, people attach their signature as it uses like mime types. It doesn't, you know, sometimes you'll see emails where like the, you know, the, the PGP or the GPG stuff is, is in the body of the email and you'll see some, some, you know, uh, some random stuff before the header, you know, before the body of the email. And then you'll see some stuff after and you'll see the email in the middle that's kind of the older way to do it. Nowadays, people use it by attaching their public keys or something using a MIME type, you know, setting up that with their email client. And that's, most email clients walk you through that, and that's really pretty easy to do. So um, anyway, I, I encourage people to check it out and, uh, you know, uh, do all that and, and sign up for it and get it all set up. It's really cool stuff. It works really well. So I've got a listener tip that I'm going to get to, and then I've got an audio feedback, and I've got some other feedback, a couple other emails that I'll read, uh, and then we'll close out for this week. So let's get to a listener tip next. Hello, Jess. Brother Red here. Um, my Unix Linux classes have just started at the local business college, and so... Uh, I have uh, another listener tip for you. It's really simple, so here we go. Um, it's obviously from the terminal, and uh, it can, you can be uh, your local user, uh, not root, I mean. And the um, command is C-A-L in the year of your birth. And that brings up all the months of the year. And so you uh, for that year, so you look in... Uh, the month of your birth and the date, and you will see the day on which you were born. For me, that is October 10th, 1973. Yeah, I know, I'm probably, uh, pretty, uh, well, anyway. Um, <laughs> um, you can also go uh, C-A-L hyphen J. 1973, or the year of your birth, sorry, and that will bring up the what is called the Julian date, which is all the days of the year in numerical order. So, um, for me, it is 283, the 283rd day. In 1973 is the day I was born, the day of the year. Subtracted obviously from 200, from 365. So anyway, that's the tip, and I'll quit while I'm ahead. Thanks, bye. Oh, by the way, your show is the best. 
I listen to TLTS live, but yours is hands down the best. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> well, thanks, Brother Red. Uh, that's a good little tip. I know I've talked about that Cal command, that calendar command before in one of my one of the episodes where I just kind of mentioned a bunch of uh, you know command line uh, uh, or you know uh, terminal commands and that sort of thing. So, uh, but thanks for that. That's a pretty cool uh, use of that. I uh, I've never never actually done that before, so I'll have to go back and and check that out. So, thanks very much, Brother Red. I appreciate it. And with that, let's get to some uh, listener feedback. Hi, Chess. This is Eric from the Netherlands in Europe. Uh, first of all, I l- would like to thank you for your great podcast. I've learned a lot of it, and uh, it's great fun to listen to it in the car. I've got uh, two, th- uh, two things I want to mention. Um, first of all, uh, a funny story. Um, a girlfriend of mine has a, a laptop, um, an Acer laptop, and there is a weird problem with it. Um, and the weird problem is that it doesn't run Windows, and it crashes when it starts up, uh, but it does run Linux without any problems. And I've traced the problem back to probably the ACPI, uh, Power Supply Management System. I don't know exactly what it is, but I noticed that uh, Linux isn't using it as the way as uh, Windows does. So she's forced now to use Linux, and it's working for her, so it's, it's great. And I got another uh, small thing. Um, uh, I bought a, a iPod um, a while ago, a Generation 5 uh, video iPod. And I bought it because, well, I liked the design and everybody was talking about it, uh, that it's great. Well, I liked it, still the design and the controls, but the, the software on it, I think, sucks. Because uh, iTunes takes all the control out of your hands and it's thinking for you, but, well, not the way that I, as I'm thinking, so... And I came across a project on the internet called Rockbox, and it's really great. I've uh, run, I'm running it now on my uh, iPod, and it's also running on on uh, different um, players, music players, and uh, it gives back the control of your iPod. You can choose uh, whatever design you want, uh, what theme you want, um, whatever. It's it's really great, and um, yeah, you can. See really the directories. You can also delete files. You can play MP3 files. Um, yeah, well, you can do almost anything. It's it's uh, it's great. Well, thanks again for the great podcast. And since you want some voicemail, here is one. <laughs> okay, bye bye from the Netherlands. Well, thank you so much, Eric. That's a really great uh, audio comment, and thank you for sending that along. Uh, yeah, Rockbox is interesting. I. Um I have never tried it. I have an old iPod. I haven't used it in years, but uh, I've heard Dave Yates talk about Rockbox, and I've heard some other folks talk about it as well. And I think there's also, I know I remember a couple of years ago putting on that there's like Linux for the iPod or something, or, or Linux on iPod, I forget what it's called. There's a there's a similar um, uh, project to Rockbox. It's basically another firmware, just like Rockbox is uh, for the iPod. And I remember trying that, and it worked pretty well. Um, it was a little buggy from time to time, but it worked pretty well. But the nice thing was it added AUG support for the iPod, because that's really kind of frustrating that the iPod doesn't support AUGs. But uh, but anyway, uh, Rockbox sounds really cool, and I've heard some good folks. You know, I mean, I've heard some good comments about it. I've heard some people. I think Dave Yates said he's had a little bit of trouble with it from time to time. 
But, um, you know, overall, I think it, from what I understand, it works pretty well. And it's, you know, like with any open source project, it's getting better all the time. So, thank, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to record that and send that along. I really like the audio feedback. It really means a lot to me. And, you know, for folks who send audio feedback, I can just about guarantee I'll be able to get it in the show because I really like that audio feedback. So thanks again, Eric. Okay, and then I got a, a really nice email here from Yvonne, and he actually posted in the forums as well. But for those who don't read in the forums, he sent me an email, and so I thought I'd read it. He said, Dear Chess, a little note to say thank you for the great podcast and service that you provide. After listening to your podcast, I'm starting to think of you as the Leo Laporte of the Linux community. <laughs> I thought that was great. I don't think so. No way. I'm not the Leo Laporte of anything. Um, Leo is a, he's a unique guy. Um, he's got that radio voice, which I know I don't have, and he's got a zillion podcasts going, but, but thank you. I appreciate that, Yvonne. Uh, he says, I've, um, I've rarely come across a podcast as well-structured as Linux Reality. You must have teaching experience. I'm French-Canadian and married to a wonderful Japanese lady. I live in Sapporo, Japan at present. After over 25 years of using Microsoft products, I've taken the plunge into Linux, and there's just no turning back. I needed a multi-language operating system and have settled on OpenSUSE. Everything worked right out. I can compute in all the languages ima imaginable under such a stable system. I've had my laptop running with Linux for a month now. There are still many things that I need to understand. Your podcast sure have helped me a lot. The one thing that I wonder if you would consider covering in a future podcast is how to build a simple backup slash recovery strategy under Linux. I can easily backup my documents, but I'm still wondering how to backup my contact slash email slash calendar in KDE's contact, for example. Do Linux systems have a registry like Windows systems? The only problem I've ever had with a Linux system was caused by me after resizing a partition. When I restarted my system, I could not load OpenSUSE. But since I still did not have any data on my system, I just reinstalled the system. It would be uh, um, if 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 uh, if I could be able to make if you could be able to make a future podcast on disaster recovery, it sure would be helpful. Sorry for the long letter, and once again, thanks for the great podcast. And that's Yvonne from Japan. Uh, let's see, uh, Yvonne, that's a really nice email. And what's interesting also, before I get to his question, in the forums, he mentioned, when he, he said sort of the same thing in the forums, that in Windows, you have to buy a separate license for each language. And I did not know that. That is incredible. That's unbelievable. And that is just, that just seems like a crime. I mean, that just doesn't seem right. I cannot believe it. I mean, I believe it, but it's just, it's crazy. Um, it's just crazy. He said it was cost like $800 to get you know, the th two or three languages that he and his wife need to use. And, um, I mean, gosh, it seems like in this day and age with the, um, with the, with the fact that the globe is becoming smaller and, uh, we're all kind of work reaching out and meeting each other virtually and all this kind of stuff that, that that wouldn't be the case. And obviously that's not the case in Linux. You can use any language in Linux and some distributions are really good at that. And I guess OpenSUSE is also. So, Thank you, Yvonne. As far as your question about the backups, I am definitely going to get to that probably soon. A lot of people have asked me for that, um, and I would definitely recommend that. The one quick little tip that I'll throw out, as you mentioned, backing up your you know your contacts and all that, you know, a lot of that stuff is kept in those hidden directories, like I talked about in the episode last week. So I think the KDE information in, for contact is kept under .KDE, I believe. I may not that may not be exactly right, but it, it it's kept somewhere in your home directory, in a hidden directory there, probably .KDE or maybe .KMail or .Contact. But anyway, I'm sure we can find the answer to that specific question. But what I was going to say is what I would suggest when setting up, when doing an installation for the first time, I would encourage everyone to at least think about 
creating a separate partition for your home. You know, that's the nice thing about Linux is you can partition your drive and insert and, and you know, mount any of the any of the file system anywhere on any of the partitions. And I think I talked about that long ago in one of the early episodes, talked about talking about partitioning or file systems and that sort of thing. So, you know, I do that on all my systems. I have a separate partition for my home. Um, that way I can have multiple installations, that's what I use it for, uh, and access the same home data. Um, so I don't have to have separate home directories or separate home partitions for each distribution. I have one home, and then I have different partitions for the different distributions that I may be testing out on my test box. Uh, but it's also great for backup and recovery because what I can do when I reinstall is just reinstall the base OS on the on the main partitions and leave home un, untouched, and that way you'll have all your settings. So uh, at least that's that's one option. But anyway, I will talk about backups and recoveries. There's a lot of different things to think about, and uh, so I will I will do that. So just hang on hang on there, and uh, that will be coming. And then uh, last email here that I want to read for this week is um, one from Roger. And Roger sent me an email. He said, hey, Chess, I just stumbled across your podcast this morning, this morning, literally, using stumbleupon.com, and I find it great. I first started using Linux very very casually as kind of an experiment about a year or two ago, but I'm now attending the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Also notice I'm one of the few listeners from Canada on your Frapper map, definitely the first from Edmonton. And I'm majoring in computing science, and I've begun to feel that Linux and the entire free community Surrounding it is something of a godsend. I really love how Linux makes me feel in control of my computer. Anyways, I am certainly a new Linux user, although I learn quickly, and I'm currently using Fedora 6 with Fluxbox, but I'm not sure if I'm satisfied with this distro. Fedora's wireless support is somewhat limited, and my laptop is getting kind of cluttered anyways. So with the help of your show, I hope to select a distro and window manager, which I think I'll get more use out of. I'm also looking forward to learning more about using Linux and customizing my environment. Anyways, keep up the good work. I'll probably have some more feedback for you in the future. Uh, Roger. And he says, P.S. I've been up for several hours now listening to the episodes in order. A lot of it I already know, but a great deal is new to me. Thanks a lot for the show. Well, Roger, thank you for sending that email. That's very nice of you. And I'm glad that you're um, discovering Linux and that, you know, you said you've been using it for about a year or so and uh, that you're using Fedora and Fluxbox. I love Fluxbox. Um, I haven't used Fedora 6 too much, a little bit, um, but if that's not working for you, I mean, I would try OpenSUSE, I would try uh, Ubuntu, maybe Mepis, um, maybe PC Linux OS. Those are all excellent distributions, and there's more, uh, but those are great ones to start with, I think, because they do have, they all have big communities, and, and a lot of them have stuff set up out of the box and that kind of thing, so... Uh, but just, you know, stick around and check out the forums. We've got some good things going on in there as well. Uh, but thank you for, for sending that email, Roger. I sure do appreciate it. I think that's it for this week, guys. Um, I'm, I've got a ton of stuff to do this week, so I'm trying to uh, get this episode recorded and out so I can get all my other work done, and uh, that way I can focus on the next episode. So uh, till then, I think it's time to wrap it up. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks again for listening to another episode of Linux Reality. This has been episode 47. Hope you enjoyed it. That open PGP and GNU PG stuff is just fantastic. I really encourage everyone to check it out and to try using it and get it set up and start sending your emails with your, you know, uh, GPG signature and encrypt those you need to encrypt. And it's just all good stuff. 
let's see, next week is going to be episode 48, and then we'll have 49, and then it will be 50, and gosh, then it'll be a year, and man, it's just flown by. It's unbelievable. I can't believe a, a whole year of podcasting is, is, is coming up. It's just it's just incredible. Anyway, um, thanks to you guys, because it really is because of you guys I'm still going, um, and I'll, I'm going to keep on going. So stay tuned. Stay subscribed. Please send me an email at linuxreality at gmail.com or call the listener hotline uh, number uh, or the audio service. All that information is on the Linux Reality homepage. I really like those audio comments and audio tips. They will get in the show, so please do consider sending those along. I've got more that people have sent. And I'm getting to those uh, one at a time or two at a time. So don't worry. If you sent one in, I'll be getting it in at some point. I appreciate it. Let's see. Until next time, everyone, I hope you all have a good week and a good weekend. And stay healthy. Stay happy. We'll catch you all next time. This has been Episode 47 of Linux Reality. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.